Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Uh, that being said, are you ready to study the Word of God? Yes or no? It's going to be fun. Let's get out your, um, your, your sermon notes. We're going to turn to the book of John, and we're going to study the story of the resurrection, and, and not just the story, but the truth of the resurrection through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. And I want to say a, a few things first, just to set the foundation of this day. Letter A, write this down, that the cross is a display of God's love. So we talk about the cross, and, and we talk about Jesus' death on the cross, paying the penalty of our sins, and it's a display of God's love, but the empty tomb displays God's power. Let, let me say it a different way. In fact, let's let her be. Write it, write it down this way, that the, the cross proclaims forgiveness. That's what the cross does, but the empty tomb proclaims victory. Everybody, you can not only live a life of forgiveness in Christ Jesus, you can not only be forgiven, but you can live a life of victory. You can live a life that overcomes uh, the things that, that you struggled with, the things that you've always dealt with. How many know that there's victory in Christ Jesus and the resurrection proves it? Can I get an amen on that? Now listen, if you don't amen me today, I'm going to amen myself and that's just going to be awkward. All right, so don't let me be awkward. Just amen me today. Keep me going, and I'll try to keep it. If you amen me, I'll try to keep it short. How's that? That's a special deal. So you should have said amen to that. That would have, that would have been perfect timing. John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 1 is where we're going to start. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, we're going to come back to that, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Let's just stop right there because that's who we're talking about today, Mary Magdalene and this encounter that she had not only at the tomb and not only with Jesus, but there's more to the story. So let me tell you a little bit about Mary Magdalene uh, today. First of all, uh, there are... Uh, lots of Marys in the Bible. This, this specific Mary that we're talking about, Mary Magdalene, is mentioned in all four gospel accounts in the resurrection story. So she's a, she's a prominent person in the resurrection story mentioned by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them uh, point towards Mary of Magdalene. Uh, uh, there is often confusion concerning her, in fact, conspiracy, really. But the confusion is a, a lot of people think that, that Mary Magdalene is somebody in the Bible who did things that we don't really have record of her doing, but everybody just thinks that she does. So, for instance, remember the woman that entered into the house of the Pharisee, and, and she, she washed Jesus' feet, and she dried them with her hair. A lot of people say, well, that's Mary Magdalene. Can I tell you something? I don't want to burst your bubble, but the Bible never says that it is. Never even says the name Mary. We don't know who that person is. We, we certainly don't know that it's Mary Magdalene, but a lot of people think that it is. I don't know why. There's other people that believe that Mary Magdalene is the one that was caught in sin, caught in adultery. Remember, they brought her out, and, and they said they were going to stone her, and Jesus came in, and he rescued her. And, and he said, hey, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. A lot of people say, well, that was Mary Magdalene. Again, the Bible never says that. 
There are are depictions of Mary Magdalene. In fact, Hollywood does this all the time where they're making movies in which they they picture Jesus and Mary Magdalene having this relationship that the Bible never really records that that they were, in fact, some would say that they were secretly married. Some said that that Mary Magdalene was Jesus' mistress. Can Can I tell you something? The Bible never, ever suggests that whatsoever. And Jesus was and is the spotless lamb of God, everybody. He lived a life of purity. He had no mistress. Let me say it like that. Can I just get to the point? He had no mistress. Everybody, he came to do the work of the Father, and he was intent on his work, on getting it done. And actually, that's what we're talking about today. So, so there's conspiracies con- concerning Mary Magdalene. There's these confusing uh, people like, well, who did this then, and who did this, and wasn't it this Mary that did this? Because there's at least six or seven Marys that I can think of right off the top of my head that we read in, in the gospel accounts. There's just a lot of them. And Mary Magdalene uh, uh, is a very special lady. In fact, uh, God did something amazing in her life, but she really wasn't too far from the story of Jesus and where Jesus came from. In fact, Jesus based a lot of his ministry in Galilee around the area of Capernaum. Now, now Capernaum is on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and my wife and I went to Israel uh, two and a half years ago. We had the privilege of going to Israel with a, a bunch of other pastors, and um, so we took advantage of that, and uh, we, we went to Capernaum. And if you go to Capernaum, um, what you'll see there is a synagogue that is a second century synagogue, meaning it's a synagogue that was built 100 years beyond Jesus' time. And uh, you can walk that synagogue, and it obviously was used, but it wasn't used by Jesus. Now, at Capernaum, there's another building located next to it where they have unearthed uh, uh, what is said to be a synagogue underneath that. They've excavated that, and you can look down, and you can actually see like this first century synagogue in which Jesus have said, well, they, they said, well, that's where he, he taught at. There, there are very few places in, in um, Israel today that we know Jesus actually set foot in or, or stones that he actually walked upon. Very few. Why? Because over the course of time, things change. Over the course of times, there, there's just things that happen and people come in and they say, okay, it used to be this, but I'm going to turn this over into this now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wipe out this, uh, what this building used to be and I'm going to put my own building. In fact, that still happens in today's world. When, when my wife and I moved to Plymouth 18 years ago, uh, there's lots of things that were in this town 18 years ago that are no longer there. I, I remember the days when, when Walgreens wasn't Walgreens. Where Walgreens, how many remember those days? That there was that, that white building, that brick building that sat down there, and it wasn't, well, things changed over the course of time. So, as, so it was back in the days of Jesus. Well, in 2009, so this is a very recent discovery, somebody came in and they wanted to build this kind of guest retreat in, in the area known as Magdala. Now, in this area, they they started to build this retreat, started the excavation, and only 30 centimeters underneath the topsoil, which is very close to the top. And and the reason that is, is because it's a coastal town. And of course, uh, you, you don't have to go very far down in order to discover what was there before. And what they discovered was the was an actual first century synagogue. In fact, it is so intact that all of the mosaic tiles that were, that were laid in this first century synagogue are still there. You can look at it, at it online and see the beauty of this 
synagogue. Well, the Bible says that Jesus went from village to village and town to town, teaching and preaching in the synagogues and healing people. So as they uncovered this first century synagogue, you're, you're actually looking at the very location in which Jesus taught. Let, let me say it another way, that you can actually walk on the same mosaic stones that Jesus himself walked on. And that's rare when you go to Israel. It's actually very rare. A lot of the places, well, this is where this happened. This is where this happened. And, and actually, especially the Catholic Church has come over and they've taken over what they would call all of those holy sites and they turned it into very um, Catholic buildings and churches and cathedrals. And so Magdala was where Mary was from. Just like we would say Jesus of Nazareth, well, we say Mary Magdalene because she was from Magdala. In fact, another place where Jesus actually walked when you go to Israel, and hopefully one of these days we'll be able to take a, a group of, of new singers there to Israel, and my wife and I would love to host that. That if we have the ability to take you there down the road, that you'll, you'll go to the, to the south side of Jerusalem, to the entrance, the south entrance into the old city, and the steps that are there that you would walk into were there when Jesus walked into the city. Here's another way of thinking about it. When Jesus entered into the city during his week of passion, or just as he's starting the week of passion, so just a few days before his crucifixion, he's walking into the city, and you can walk on the very steps that Jesus walked on as he went into the city. My wife and I have been there. We've walked on those same steps. And, and, and as we were there with a whole team of other pastors, my wife and I, we were just in tears. Like, I am walking where Jesus walked. But not only that, I am walking where Jesus walked, knowing full well that he was headed to the cross. And yet he entered into the city anyway. That's amazing to me. What love he has for us. What incredible love that he walked in the city knowing that he was going to die. So the town of Magdala is on the west coast of the Sea of, of Galilee. And, and it's a place, no doubt, that Jesus was, was at multiple times. In fact, there was this occasion where he met this woman and found out that this woman had seven demons in her. And he cast those demons out. And that's the one thing that we know for sure about Mary Magdalene. She was that woman. She had seven demons. She was demon-possessed. I'm going I'm to share something with you. This is just my opinion. That, that I don't think this, the number seven is co coincidence. In fact, in the Bible, the number seven represents completeness. And I think it's, it's, it's the Bible's way of, of, of telling us that she was completely absorbed in the things of the enemy, that the, the, the enemy had completely taken over her life. And just as she was completely taken over by the enemy, that Jesus stepped in and he did a complete work and completely delivered her from everything that was in her life that was not godly, but that was very demonic, that Jesus came in and he's showing us, all of us, that, hey, whatever you're in, I can completely deliver you. I can completely set you free. And he does that. So out of that, 
The Bible records this in Luke chapter 8, that actually Mary Magdalene, after she received this deliverance from Jesus, that she started supporting the ministry of Jesus and the 12. And this is a quote out of Luke chapter 8, the the three verses there, you can read this, that she supported them out of her own means. So we have a suspicion that Mary Magdala was was probably wealthy because she was supporting the ministry of Jesus and the disciples. So if you ever wondered, well, where did Jesus get the food? Where did they get the funds to travel? There were people that were following Jesus outside of the 12 that would actually support their ministry. In fact, we also see this, that Mary Magdalene, followed Jesus all the way to the trial. She was at the trial of Jesus, and she was at the crucifixion of Jesus, and she was there when they took the body down, and she was there when they put the body in the borrowed tomb. Remember, they took the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. She was there. She knew the tomb. She was, in fact, the last one at the cross and the first one at the tomb. That's what the Bible says about her, that she was the first one at the tomb. But she was the last one to walk away when Jesus was buried in the ground just a few days earlier. And so now, while it's still dark, John chapter 20, let's go back there. While it's still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. So that's John and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So, so Mary runs to the tomb. She, she realizes that the stone has been moved and she darts back to the disciples. So then the disciples have to go check this out. So they run to the tomb. They leave Mary behind because at that point, then the first ones in the tomb were Peter and John. So now we pick up in verse 11. So now she comes, she makes her way back to the tomb. Now Mary stood outside the tomb. So she came back and she was crying. We'll come back to that. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Let me explain this to you. This is so this is so this is so powerful everybody. You 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 might look over that portion or you might say, "Well, I wonder why there were two angels. Why wasn't there just one? And why were they at the head and, and the foot? I mean, why were, why weren't they sitting in the middle?" Well, if you remember anything about the Old Testament and the foreshadowing of, of, uh, of what was to come in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, then you would know that the Ark of the Covenant was known to be the place where the presence of the Lord resided. And on the Ark of the Covenant, there were two angels, two cherubims, one at the head and one at the foot. And in the middle was the mercy seat. And the high priest would come in one day a year on, the, on, on Yom Kippur or, or the Day of Atonement, and he would take the blood of the sacrificial animal and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat in order to gain atonement for, this, for not only his sins, but the sins of all of the people. Everybody, that was a foreshadowing of what was to come. That Jesus, as he's, as he's resurrected to new life, he leaves behind two angels. And when Mary Magdalene looks in, no doubt she's reminded, oh, this is like the Ark of the Covenant. And in the middle was the greatest act of mercy. It represented the greatest act of mercy. 
The greatest sacrifice, the sacrifice that was done once and for all, the death of Jesus Christ. Let's continue, verse 13. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? The angels did. And they have, they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. No doubt he had a glorified body at that point. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. And Jesus said to her very, very softly, very dearly, Mary, can I tell you something, new song? Jesus knows your name too. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to break this down for you even further. For those of you who just love to study the Word of God like, like I do, and for those of you who don't, you need to, because it is so incredible, everybody. Study your Bible every day. Can I tell you that? Study the Bible this is so interesting because Jesus comes out of the tomb and he's in, his, he's in this glorified body, this, this body that was really unrecognizable uh, to Mary Magdalene at first, but then she recognizes him and he says these words to her. He says, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Now, there's a lot of debate about that, what that verbiage is right there because a lot of translations just say, he says, don't touch me. Another one say, don't cling to me. But yet at the end of the day, remember at the end of the day, he's in, in this room with the disciples. He appears out of nowhere and he tells them, hey, come and touch me. Like you can see, check out my scars. It's really me. So he starts out the day, the, the day by telling Mary Magdalene, hey, don't touch me. But ending that same day by telling the disciples, it's okay, touch me. So what I want to address here in the room this morning is what happened, what happened between his death when he died and his resurrection, let me say it this way, where did he go? Where did he go? And wherever he went, how long was he there? Have you ever wondered that? I have. Great question. Where did he go? And how long he was there? And, you, and a lot of people would just answer that. If you know the word of God, you're going to say, well, I know what the Bible says, that, that he went down to the lower places, he descended, and he took control of the keys of death and hell and the grave. Like he came out victorious, and you would be right. I believe that. But, but remember, on the cross, he wasn't alone on, that, on that, that mount. There were two other thieves that were crucified that day, and one of those thieves came to his senses, and he looked to the Lord Jesus, and he said, could you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? Like, Jesus, I realize it's you. You are the Messiah. Would you remember me? And Jesus said to him, today... You will be with me in paradise. So was he in the lower places or was he in Hades or hell the entire time? I don't think so. I don't think so. But how long was he there? I don't know. One of these days, if you're looking for an answer, everybody, I don't know. I'm not that good, apparently. And by the way, no other Bible scholar, no other theologian. I mean, I studied this topic for about 30 hours this week. Can I tell you, I never found one person who said, oh, I know exactly, and this is how I know. It was so, it was just, hey, we think, we interpret it this way. 
But can I tell you something, everybody? One thing that we did know that when Jesus rose again, he rose again victorious. That everything that needed to be accomplished was completed, was, was accomplished in his death and also in his resurrection. In fact, everybody, I, I want to bring you back now to, to the, the foreshadowing that we see in the Old Testament and into the New Testament. That Jesus looks at Mary Magdalene and he says, don't touch me. But later that day, he's going to tell the disciples, go ahead and touch me. Well, what happened after the resurrection that he couldn't be touched? And then at the end of the day, the same day that he could be touched. Let me tell you what I believe. In fact, this is the opinion of most theologians, most Bible scholars out there. So I'm certainly not the only one. That Jesus looks at Mary Magdalene and he says, don't touch me. And a lot of people refer that or think that to mean don't cling to me. But actually in, in, the, original, in the original Hebrew, I, I did a lot of study about this. And there's even some debate about what the original Greek says. But I did some study about this. And what I found out is the word is uh, haptomahi, uh, haptomahi, a unique word. Don't try to pronounce it. it you, you'll fail just like I did. Uh, it, and that word means, it literally means, watch this, to modify or change by touching. Or, or a touch that influences, or to, to touch something in a way that, that the object is altered. Now that's interesting to me. Because if, if that's true, Jesus could be saying a number of things right there to Mary Magdalene. He could be saying, hey, don't cling to me because you're thinking I am who I used to be. But now I'm not just the Christ. Now I am the resurrected Christ. That could be what he's saying. But I think it goes a little bit further than that. See, foreshadowing in the Old Testament would be that there had to be complete atonement. That every had, everything had to be done the correct way. That there were, certain, there were certain things involved in Yom, Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. And Jesus, as, as I should say, the Old Testament was a foreshadow of what Jesus did, of course, in the New Testament. And I believe that when Jesus came out of, of, of the grave and he looks at Mary and said, Hey, listen, you're not allowed to touch me yet because not everything has been completed. And you say, well, how do you come to that? Well, watch what he says here in John chapter 20. He says, Jesus said, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. I haven't yet ascended to the Father. He said, go instead and tell my brothers, or go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father. And I am ascending to my God and your God. Hey, hey, Mary, before you touch me, I have to go present myself to my heavenly father to complete the work. I have to show myself to my heavenly father to bring completeness to the plan of God. I have to go to him to get the final approval that I did what I was meant to do. But don't worry. Tell the brothers, it's going to be okay. That I've got to do one more thing. And he goes, and he ascends, and he presents himself to the Heavenly Father, and obviously the Heavenly Father approves, and the next thing we know, he's on the road to Emmaus. Remember, the, the two followers of Christ are going to Emmaus, and Jesus joins them, and he explains the scripture, and they invite him over to dinner, and he, he, he ends up going, and as they're talking about it, and they realize, oh, it's him, he just disappears. And, and then, uh, 
they go and find the, the other disciples, the 11 at this point, they go and find these other disciples and they say, you're not going to believe we just saw Jesus and we didn't know it was Jesus and we were eating with him and all of a sudden he disappears and lo and behold, who just shows up in the room is Jesus. And that's when he says, now you can touch me. Now all things are completed. Now everything has been done that needs to be done. How many are grateful that Jesus did the work and he did it to the fullest, everybody? He completed the work. He completed the work. So Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. She said exactly what happened. And obviously, life would never be the same for any of them and any of us. And I'm going to give you three things very, very quickly that, that, that I, I want to speak into your life today as we've studied the resurrection just from the point of Mary Magdalene. And I'm going to point some things out that I think that we need to learn. The first one is this. Number one, write this down, that God doesn't want us to live in darkness. God doesn't want us to live in darkness. The Bible says that Mary went to the tomb while it was still dark. That, that phrase just stood out to me over and over again. And I'm going to tell you in, in a moment why that stood out to me. I believe the, the Lord gave me a word for this day. For all of us, that while it was still dark, think about this. She was the last one at the cross. She, she followed them when they, when they buried Jesus in that borrowed, that borrowed tomb. And she was there putting the spices and preparing him for his burial, thinking the whole time, it's too rushed, it's too rushed. I don't have enough time. I can't get this done. And then the weekend goes by, and she can't stop thinking about Jesus, that she has to go complete the burial process. She has to finish with all the spices and prepare him for being buried. She waits the whole weekend for it. Can't get any rest, can't get any sleep. And so, in fact, while it's still dark, she goes to the tomb. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, she's going to the tomb. Who's going to roll away the stone? It's still dark. And obviously, the disciples weren't there to help out. Have you ever been so quick to react on something, something hanging over your head so much so that you didn't even really prepare for it? You got there, and you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I don't know. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. I just got here as soon as I could. Like, I was just thinking about it so much that I didn't think this thing through. And her heart and her mind was on her Lord and her Savior. While it was still dark, there's some people in this room that you're living in darkness. But I want you to know you don't have to. Micah 7, 7 and 8, I love these, these verses. But as for me, I watch and hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. He will hear me. Don't gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Everybody, you don't have to live in darkness. You don't have to live in darkness. The Bible says that when we come to the, to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, we trust Jesus as Savior, that we are transformed from, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, into the kingdom of Jesus, into the kingdom of light. You don't have to stay in darkness. Second thing, disappointments come. But God wants to use them to build us up and not beat us down. Could you imagine the disappointment? She gets to the tomb. She, it's dark outside. Uh, obviously, the stone is rolled away. She goes and tells the disciples. They come back. She follows them. She gets back to the tomb, and she's just in tears. She's outside of the tomb just crying. Why? She's, she is so disappointed. Her Lord has been taken away. She didn't even get to bury him properly, and she's so disappointed. 
Can I tell you something, everybody? Disappointments happen in life. And sometimes it's so easy for us to blame God and you don't realize that it's, it's God that's not beating you up. It's the enemy who is beating you up. God, in fact, is coming in to rescue you, to save you, and to build you up. The Bible says that God works all things together for our good. God doesn't want to beat you up. He wants to build you up. So disappointments will happen, everybody. There are going to be some times that you cry. But your worst day is always better with Jesus. Always better with Jesus. The third thing. Hope is alive. Because Jesus is alive. I'm going to put these things together real quick. I love, I love God's word. It's so encouraging. I remember Proverbs 24 as I was preparing for this. For those who've been disappointed, for those without hope. I love this. It says, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. If you're, if you're dealing with disappointment right now, hold on to that verse. You know, Christians are not known as the perfect people. We are known as the getting back up people. We just get back up. Even though we fall, it might be seven times in a day is what the connotation of this is. This is the context. It might be seven times in, in one day that you fall, but don't stay down. By the grace and the power of God, you can get back up. And disappointments don't have to rule your life. Why? Because hope is alive. Why is hope alive? Because Jesus is alive. He's our hope. I love this. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, I don't use this verse often enough, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Are you living in darkness? Are you dealing with disappointments? Do you feel hopeless? The resurrection is proof. The resurrection is proof that we can start over again no matter what. In fact, as I was praying for this moment a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I've preached multiple Easter services, everybody. And let me tell you something about Easter, okay? Let me tell you about something about Easter. It's the same topic every Easter. Have you ever thought about that? You're like, okay, well, I'm gonna, do I just preach the same sermon? Well, I want to have a fresh word for everybody. I don't want to just come up here and say, okay, well, here's the details of the resurrection. Okay, go home, eat your ham and mashed potatoes. Have a great day. Okay, I, I want to give you a fresh word. And I was praying about this. It was just hanging over my head. And I told my staff, I'm just going away. I'm going to take a day and I'm just going to escape. And I'm just going to get a word from God. And about halfway through the afternoon, God just spoke to my heart. I was, like, I was praying, God, what do you want me to tell my, my church family? What do you want me to tell this community? And he just he just spoke to my heart. He said, tell them their story isn't over. I came with a word for you today that your story isn't over. Are you living in darkness? You don't see the light. You're away from Christ. You don't know Christ. You've never trusted in Jesus. The Bible says you're living in darkness. But I've got good news for you today. Your story isn't over. You don't have to stay there. Are you, are you a believer, but you're living in disappointment, like your world is just falling apart, and you, you, you just you keep falling down? You just keep falling down? Can I tell you something? Your story isn't over. 
See, Mary Magdalene, she went to the tomb thinking that the story was over. She went there to prepare Jesus' body for eternity inside of that tomb, but she didn't understand something, that her story wasn't over, that the story hadn't ended yet, that Jesus was alive. And he came and he spoke to her and he called her by name. And if you're in darkness, Jesus is calling you by name. And if you're dealing with disappointments today, Jesus is calling you by name. And for all of you in this room that you're mature believers, you love Jesus, you've experienced victory in your life, you're like, well, pastor, give me a word. Here's your word. Your story isn't over either. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you have been called according to his purposes, and your story isn't over. That God wants to do more in you and through you than you could ever imagine, but we have to live a life of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Your story isn't over. Hope is alive because Jesus is alive. He is the Savior of the world. He is the resurrected Christ. There is no other Savior but Jesus. The Bible says he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to make it to heaven, he's the only way. There is no other way. We were speaking about this last week. If hell isn't real, then why the cross? Why did Jesus have to die? He wouldn't have had to. Because what would he, what would he need to save us from if there wasn't hell? But hell is very real. And if you get there, it's final. But I've got good news for you today. Your story isn't over. Because heaven is real. And when you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, to as many who just believe in him, he gives you the right to become a child of God. And you'll be in heaven forever and ever and ever. Not based upon your works, but based upon the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And resurrection power. Would you stand up with me this morning? I've done my best to present the word of the Lord to you today. If you're in darkness, your story isn't over. Your world can be changed today. Your life can be changed today. If you're disappointed, your story isn't over. For those of you who love Jesus, your story isn't over either. Because God wants to use you more than ever before. For the glory of his name and the building of his kingdom. Your story isn't over. And I hope you receive that. I pray that you receive that. But especially for those who are in darkness. You've never committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. But he's calling your name today. He's calling your name. And he's saying to you, come to me. Trust in me. And I'll make all things new. 
that same resurrection power the Bible says that raised Jesus from the dead it's still available to every single person who calls out to him and it's available right here right now that same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will come into your life and your life will be turned upside down. Why? Because you'll be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, of sin and death and hell, to the kingdom of light, to the kingdom of his dear son. And all you have to do is trust him and say, you say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. I'll help you. You are one prayer away from being eternally changed. You're one prayer away. With your every head down, I'm going to ask everybody, just close your eyes just for a moment. Because this is a very private time. There's people in this room, but right now they're making a choice. It's an eternal choice. Are they going to trust Jesus as Savior? For So if you're a believer, just pray. For those who haven't trusted Christ as of yet, just pray. And if you're ready to come out of the darkness, to give your life to Jesus, and you want to know that you're on your way to heaven. You want to know that you're stepping into light and out of darkness. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands, but this is what I'm not going to embarrass you. You're not going to have to come forward. You go public when you get baptized. That's in a couple of weeks. That's not today. Today is a very personal moment. And again, nobody will know, just me. If you're ready for that, to put your trust in Jesus and you hear him calling your name, I'm going to ask you with nobody looking around to raise your hand up really high. Let me see who you are. Do it right now. All right, I see those hands. Yeah, lots of hands. Anybody else? You can put your hands down if you've already raised them. Anybody else in this room? And now I'm going to pray a prayer. It's so simple. Oh, I think I see that hand. Thank you. I'm going to pray a prayer. And it's not the words that you say. It's the attitude of your heart. You're coming to the Lord. And you're saying, Jesus, I believe. Forgive me. And it's a prayer that goes something like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in your death. I believe in your resurrection. I believe you are who you say you are. The Son of God. I believe you are the only way to God the Father. You're the only way to heaven. And I've ran from you. I've rebelled against you. I've sinned against you. And I realize today that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And today I'm confessing not only my sins, but I am making a confession of faith that Jesus, you are Lord. And I'm asking you today, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. In all humility, I present myself to you to the best of my ability, the best way I know how. I'm asking you to forgive me and be my Lord. Today, I'm trusting you as Savior. Change me. Fill me with light and fill me with hope and fill me with resurrection power. And I say thank you for doing it. 
that in this moment, since I prayed a prayer of faith, since I've believed in the name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that everybody who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. I thank you for saving me. Today I know in my heart, I know in my heart that I am saved by grace through faith, that I now belong in the family of God. I am a child of God. And I say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. And I pray all of that in Jesus' name. Could you say amen? New song, could we celebrate all the people that came to to know Jesus today? So proud of you. So very proud of you. It's the best decision you could have ever made. The greatest decision I ever made was not marrying my wife. That's the second one. The best decision I ever made was giving my life to Jesus, and that's the truth. I want to tell you, if you gave your life to Jesus today, all you have to do is go to the guest services. We have this book for you called Fresh Start. It'll just help you get on the right path, and they'll just take like either your, your phone number or email, and we're just going to follow through with you. We're not going to stop by your house and surprise you in your pajamas. We're not going to do that. But we want to make sure that you get on the right, on the right foot, on the right standing. We're going to help you as best we can. New song. Can we just celebrate God one more time for his son, Jesus Christ, on this Resurrection Sunday? I love you so much. Next Sunday morning, three services again, 930. You picked the greatest service that you could attend, so be at this service next week, all right? Because it's working out so far. Everybody is working out. Praise God. And uh, so be here next Sunday morning, 930. We'll do it again. Have a great day. God bless you guys. Happy Easter, everybody. Thanks for coming. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.